This is a podcast that covers leadership, relevant hot topics, encouragement, stories, and the future of the church. We're real, raw, relevant, and have a ridiculous amount of fun. Now let's get into today's episode of Unscripted with IMF. Well, welcome to Unscripted with IMF. I'm your host, Bill Goodwin. I am so excited that you're joining us today, and maybe you're listening in your car, or or, uh, maybe you're starting your day with a great podcast, and we're so glad that uh, you have joined us. IMF is all about serving those who serve others in frontline Christian ministries, and once again, we have another uh, exciting guest to introduce to you. Uh, I know you're going to want to lean in. If you're if you're not driving, you're going to want to grab a piece of paper and a pen, and you're going to want to take some notes because there's a lot of great uh, practical content that's going to be coming your way uh, on today's episode. And I'm really honored to uh, spend some time here having a conversation with a newer friend to me. He's been in the leadership lane for many years. And uh, we first met uh, because we have a mutual mentor, um, Dr. John Maxwell. And uh, as I have uh, had some opportunity to connect with our guest, um, I've learned that he's been in the lane with with Dr. Maxwell for many years. And so let me just introduce our guest and we'll get him right in here for the conversation. And uh, so Dr. Tim Elmore is the founder and CEO of Growing Leaders. And you can find him at growingleaders.com. That'll be in the show notes as well. Uh, An Atlanta-based nonprofit organization created to develop emerging leaders. His work grew out of 20 years of serving along John Maxwell. Uh, uh, Dr. Elmore has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, USA Today, CNN's Headline News, Fox and Friends, all the list goes on and on. He's written over 35 books. When I did some research, I think it's around 38 books, uh, something like that. And we are so excited to have him talking about his latest work with us today. Um, And I was introduced to uh, Tim uh, about a year ago with this book, uh, which is The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. We're not going to talk about that one today. That might be for another podcast, but uh, listening audience, will you please welcome to Unscripted, Dr. Tim Elmore. Bill, it's great to be with you. Thanks. Oh, it is so great to be with you today. And uh, we're going to get to know each other a little bit, introduce you to our audience. Um, And I definitely want to make sure that we take time because today we're going to focus on a generational diversity, that there is a new kind of diversity that you talk about, Tim, and uh, we're going to dive into that. But I don't know, let's just get acquainted. Tell us uh, for our audience, just so we can get better acquainted with you, um, this this organization that you run, uh, Growing Leaders, what is that all about and making a difference in, in leadership in people's lives? Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, Growing Leaders really was birthed out of my work with John Maxwell. I actually started with John. It just hit me 40 years ago this year, 1983. I started with him just right out of college, and I knew I wanted to serve, and he was a pastor at the time, so I joined him as a college pastor. My heart for young people was already in place, but of course, working alongside John, your love of leadership gets combined with your love of whatever target audience you've got. So Growing Leaders is really about how do we put tools in the hands of the emerging generation to build them into healthy, effective life-giving leaders. Um, so, Bill, we serve, We mostly serve the public space. We serve public schools, state universities, NCAA athletic programs, 
nonprofits. But of course, I'm a man of faith, and and uh, that what that's what drives everything I do. So we also serve Christian schools and churches and and ministries all over the world, fifty different countries actually. So actually, no, um, I was just told seventy two countries. So um, it's been a joy. It's been a joy, but. I owe so much to John. I tell people, John, my gosh, John Maxwell gave me my launching pad, my flight plan, and my rocket fuel. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it's fun to have mentors in your life where you look back and go, man, I got to pass it on because somebody passed it to me way back in the day. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, I feel so honored uh, to be in in the space with the Maxwell leadership team more recently over the last couple of years. And and, and trying to add value to our IMF families uh, with some of that great content that is transferable into ministry as well as business, and uh, and also providing tools like uh, we've been taking groups through something called Beyond Success. And so if you're listening, you're like, what is this Beyond Success? Reach out to us at IMF. We'd love to tell you about that as well. Um, but today we're here with Dr. Elmore, and we want to talk about this latest book. It's called A New Kind of Diversity. Um, so get us started. Give us kind of the, the the background, like like what stirred you to to do the the work to create this this uh, new book. Well, um, I, I've already mentioned I have a heart for the emerging generation, and what I'm seeing today may be what many listeners are seeing as well. There's this widening gap, call it a generation gap, that gets bigger and bigger with time, because um, while the term was coined over 50 years ago by John Poppy of Life, Life, uh, he was the editor of Life magazine, the gap got bigger when the screens in our life went from public to private. So way back when I was growing up, there was one screen in the house. It was a television, a black and white TV. <laughs> and, you know, the whole family gathered around. We watched I Love Lucy or whatever it was. And we laugh together and talk about it together. Well, today we all have our own screens and they're in our hands. And we can have a silo or an echo chamber of content where mom doesn't know well, she knows that her daughter has an Instagram account. She has no idea her daughter has five Finsta accounts, fake right. Instagram, where you know she's developing personas and Lord knows what she's doing. So the point is, this book really was meant to be a reference guide, like an encyclopedia for the five generations that are trying to collaborate together today to actually understand each other and pull out the very best. So instead of stereotyping, we're going, ooh, you've got something to offer, baby boomer or Gen Xer, or Millennial, or Gen Zer. So the book, as you know, Bill, we've talked about this before. It's really designed to be that tool that you could look at chapter seven and get an idea, or look at chapter nine and get an idea when you've got somebody that's very different from you, maybe older or younger, and you just need to build a bridge to them instead of a wall. Yes, yes, absolutely. It is a encyclopedia, as you say, um, you know, when we were in Orlando together and you talked about it, and actually I was grateful you gave me a pre-release copy. That's the one right here. Yep. And uh, marked that one up. And then um, <laughs> and then being with you a couple other times at Live to Lead in Atlanta. And then we were together in, in Iowa. And, and uh, I've been right. sharing. Yeah. yeah, I've been sharing this content with others and, and uh, just excited because um, this is so relevant to where we are today. So uh, take a few moments here, Tim, take us through just kind of a synopsis of the different generations that are in the workforce today and uh, what kind of categorizes the different generations. 
Yeah. Well, for, for those of you that might go, oh, I'm not sure about this generation stuff. A generation is generally a group of people that shared that share characteristics because of the time period in which they grew up and had shared experiences, shared technology, shared music, shared television programs, shared heroes and tragedies. So you and I both know, Bill, there are there are loads of generations. Actually, for the first time in modern history, there are seven different sociological generations alive right now because people keep living longer and and mamas are still having babies, seven generations. And as you mentioned, there are five in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So the oldest would be the builder generation that w- might still be at work. They're actually past retirement age, but they're still healthy and vigorous, and they may still do lawn care or maintenance around the building, or you know, they just love to work and they're still healthy enough at 80 years old and they're still there. And then just below them in age, just younger than them, would be the baby boomers. We've all heard about the baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we stole the show decades ago when we arrived. <laughs> I'm one of them. We were born between 1946 and 1964. So we're at retirement age or nearing retirement age. Uh, in fact, as we sit here today, on average, 10,000 baby boomers retire from the workforce on a daily basis. So even sitting here today, 10,000 more people are gone, Amazing. which means leadership roles will probably be vacant and left to younger generations. We better get them ready. That's my mm-hmm. that's my flag I'm waving. Mm-hmm. Uh, then after the baby boomers, by the way, boomers were called boomers because there was a boom of babies right after World War II. 76.4 million kids were born in 18 years. Amazing. The next generation was Generation X. Okay, we've all heard of the X generation. I'm that, an Xer. There you go. And yep. that was given to you all, uh, Bill, because you didn't want to be tagged with any one name. So you called yourself the X generation. <laughs> but the first title you were given by sociologists was Baby Buster. And the reason that was given to you is because the first year of your generation's existence was the public introduction of the birth control pill. So instead of a boom, it was a bust. The, the, the fertility rate dropped by tens of millions. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was Gen X. Um, after the Xers come the Gen Yers or the millennials. We've all talked about the millennials now for 15 years and thrown them under the bus every chance we get. I feel so sorry. Please forgive us, millennials listening. But millennials are basically young professionals. They were born in the 80s and 90s. Some date them starting a little bit earlier, some a little bit later, but usually the 80s and 90s make up the millennials. They're called millennials because they'll live their entire adult life in this new millennium, the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are idealistic and confident, and, and they're they're now, the oldest are nearing midlife, believe it or not. They're young professionals, but the oldest batch are, you know, closing in on midlife and thinking, oh my gosh, have I bought the home? Did I get the dream job I always you know, thought I would. So that's huge. I can relate to that. Just to say that as a youth pastor back in the, yeah, back in the day, now those young people that are millennials are now 40 ish uh, on the older, on the older side. And, and I'm going, wow. uh, You know, just, just to watch how, how they have evolved into full, full adulthood careers, families, the whole thing. Yes. Here's something quite funny. In our research, we've noticed now that millennials are old enough, some anyway, to have leadership and management positions, uh, when we ask, what are your frustrations? Very often they'll say, 
other millennials or Gen Zers because now they got <laughs> responsible positions and ah, these lazy slackers, what are we going to do with them? You know, it's quite funny, but isn't this true? Happens to every generation. You know, Absolutely. we, we were the young whippersnappers back in the day and nobody could figure us out. And now we're the older folks going, what are kids today? Kids today, you know? Right. So, right. Anyway, the youngest generation in the workforce, um, is Generation Z. And I'm sure everybody listening has heard at least the term Gen Z. Uh, they're called Gen Z following Generation Y. Um, some call them the coronials because they've had this chunk of time completely impacted as young people by the coronavirus, you know, COVID-19. Um, but Gen Z would have grown up in the 21st century. And Bill, just stop and think for a minute, if for no other reason to develop a little bit of empathy and compassion, since the 21st century, my gosh, it started with the dot-com era bubble bursting. Uh, September 11, 2001, which completely threw all of us. Mm -hmm. uh, corporate scandals like Enron, Tyco, WorldCom. Uh, and then you had this, this iPhone release not that long afterwards. And it, it completely changed the game, did it not? It wasn't just a cell phone. It was a smartphone. Now right. we had a computer in our hands and we were overwhelmed. Anxiety rates went up once the, the smartphone kind of crossed over 50% in 2014. Uh, and then mass shootings. Oh, my gosh. Bill, last year, I don't know if you know this. Last year, there were more mass shootings in the United States than we had days in the year. Um, and you are troubled by that just as adults, but think about being a teenager. Um, I spoke to a group of public high school teenagers recently, and one of them said to me, Dr. Tim, every time we hear a loud pop in the school, we all duck because we're sure a gun's going off somewhere in the school. And I thought, oh my gosh, I never had to think about that. I maybe you should have. We didn't have to think about that. No, we never thought of that. Yeah, and today it's normal. So those will be the generations, and obviously they have all have weaknesses, mm -hmm. but they all have strengths as well. So my point in this book, the goal is not to stereotype each generation, but to understand each one. And yes. of course, that's the point of this conversation. Yes, and I think I read uh, that by 2025, 75 percent of the workforce. Yeah. will be millennials and Gen Z. I think you put, I think that was in your book. Yeah. Just, I mean, if you just pause and think about that, 75% of the workforce in the next few years is millennials and Gen Z. That's with that 10,000 boomers yeah. a day going into retirement and, and the smaller generation of Gen X uh, compared to the boomers. So, um, you know, this is so relevant to us because I think we're all we're all realizing that there is uh, challenges, yet yep. great opportunities. Yeah, if we can just learn how to leverage and understand one another and work uh, work better together. Yeah. Uh, and I know that's what you cover in the book as well that we're going to talk about here. Um, if, if you wouldn't mind, let's transition for a moment. Talk a little bit about the church because yeah. we see that aging congregations. And I know many that are listening from IMF at least are are serving in ministry of some sort. And we see that that the boomers uh, are definitely, you know, in that retirement age. Maybe they're even, if you're in a colder climate, they're snowbirds. So they're leaving in the in the winter months and they're coming back. And, uh, and, and then we're also trying to find ways to be able to reach and engage relevantly the millennials and the Gen Z in the church world, what what are your what are your thoughts or or yeah. uh, encouragement to, to to people in ministry when they're 
going, wow, our church is getting older and we're not getting younger and we need to have a different strategy to be more intentional about millennials and Gen Z, especially? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, My observation when I look at the body of Christ is that we who are older, let's say over 50 years old, are finding it very difficult to turn the reins over to a younger generation. Uh, Not everywhere. There are exceptions, thank God. But for the most part, I go to other countries. I go across the 50 states. And I see, um, I think it's well-intended, but an older generation clinging to the power because we think they're either not ready or they're going to mess this whole thing up or, you know, they're going to do it in a zany sort of way, completely compromise the gospel. But we have these thoughts that prevent us as a Moses generation to find our Joshua's and uh, and pass it on. So one of the habitudes that I've developed, um, as you know, habitudes are images that form yes. leadership habits and attitudes. I call it the Joshua problem, the Joshua problem. So everybody listening knows that the greatest Jewish leader in the world 4,000 years ago was a guy named Moses, right? Uh, he was called by God to take the people of Israel across the desert and into the promised land. Now, did Moses finish the job? No, he did not. Fortunately, however, he'd been preparing a next generation leader by the name of Joshua, who two weeks after Moses passes away, takes the reins of leadership, crosses the Jordan River, and city by city by city, he begins to take the promised land. The problem is Joshua never found a Joshua. If you read the pages of scripture, you see that Joshua never turned around and repeated the favor that Moses had done for him. He never found his own next-gen guy. And when Joshua, it's what's powerful, it's scary and powerful. When you read the pages of Joshua, you know, book of Joshua, you know, and numbers and, and, and so forth, what you see is when Joshua dies, the nation of Israel goes into the worst period of her history. International Ministerial Fellowship is a non-denominational organization of nearly 1,500 members. We license, credential, and ordain pastors, parachurch workers, and evangelists. We endorse military and civilian chaplains. We are also a sending agency for missionaries, providing many services including donor communications, accounting, and much, much more. We serve those who serve others in frontline Christian ministries. So for more information, visit our website at imfserves.org. It's the period of the judges, where Mm -hmm. twice we read in the book of Judges, and there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It wasn't because God didn't love them. It's because they didn't train a bunch of leaders to follow. Mm -hmm. So yay for the Moseses listening, but you're not done until you have looked back and found a Joshua or a Jessica, whoever you are, and Mm -hmm. tools to them. And you know what? They're going to do it with a different manner. They're going to have different methods. Don't baptize the methods. Baptize the mission. Let them be different. But I'm, I'm just, Bill, I'm probably preaching right now, but we've got to find ways to say, how do we find that next gen person? Get coffee with them and say, listen, I don't know everything, but I'll share with, with you what, what I've got. Mm-hmm. And you can take it and use it how you want. That's what I think the need of the hour is probably more than anything else. Yeah. That's really so pertinent. I I feel as though having been a lead pastor for many years, that that in some cases, not always, but in some cases, uh, if the leader is ready to pass the baton, 
the congregation is not ready to pass the baton. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's, it's finding those ways that you say, we need to find ways. Yeah. We need to find ways that help congregations come along Yeah. to, to, to that realization that if we don't pass the baton, we're not, we're going to be extinct as a congregation in the next yeah. 20, 30 years. So, yeah. so we need to find ways that not only bring the leaders along, but also bring the congregations along so that they are open and receptive to raising up the, the younger generations as well. No doubt. Can I volley back on that? Please. I feel as though often we're not ready, either the congregation or the leader, because we tend to mix up the gospel with our methods. In other words, you know, the organ sits here or the people sing like this, or this is what we do here. And those are all interchangeable. Those those are... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why we we make them like, don't change them. That's the gospel. It's not the gospel. In fact, Bill, you can see me right now. I'm holding a bottle of water in my hands. Mm-hmm. My definition of a relevant leader is someone who uses what is cultural to say what is timeless. Oh, they, say that again. Okay. Oh they gosh. use what is cultural to say mm-hmm. what is timeless. Now, the reason I'm holding a bottle of water in my hand, uh, listeners, just picture a bottle of water, if you will. Um, this bottle of water is an illustration of both the cultural and the timeless. Um, the water inside is timeless. People have always needed water all down through history. The container we poured from is cultural. Okay, I'm holding a 2023 model from Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, where <laughs> I live. Uh, ancient Egypt did not pour from a container that looked like this. So what keeps changing? We keep changing the container to get the water to the people. I'm saying, leader, you've got to change up your containers and pour from a container, the living water, if you will, that the next gen will drink from. And it may not be the same one you drank from in 1995 or Mm. whenever you were growing up. That's the need of the hour. And by the way, isn't it true? Jesus did this beautifully. He comes to earth 2,000 years ago to an agrarian culture of shepherds and farmers. And he Mm. says, the kingdom is like a seed. Well, do you know why he said that? Because he knew they understood his seat. He used what is cultural to talk about the kingdom, which was timeless. That's what we got to do today. So I'll stop ranting there. Oh, that is not a rant. That is absolute gold right there. And it uh, it just really helps me to want to lean in and say that's that's where we're that's where we're at today. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I think this is so helpful for those listening today because many of us are that 50 plus yeah. um and we're saying okay how do we how do we be effective in passing on the ministry that we've been uh uh you know handed and yeah. and built over the years um one of the things that you talk about in the book is this thing called reverse mentoring yeah and i think this may be a, a, an appropriate time to kind of talk about that because if we want the new container the relevant cultural container we might not 50 plus those of us in that demographic we may not know what is that relevant thing yeah so talk to us about this term reverse mentoring and how that could play a part in engaging and bringing about the relevancy that's needed for ministry today absolutely yeah well um this is so relevant for ministry but it was actually a term coined by jack welch way back in the 1990s mm. he was the ceo of general electric yeah and you remember the 1990s computers were relatively new back then. Workplaces were just then introducing them as the norm. Well, Jack was noticing his senior executive team 
wasn't really adjusting to the computer. You know, they were 58 years old and they said, I pad of paper is fine with me, you know. <laughs> but his new employees graduated from MIT totally got the computer. So what he did was he matched together and a seasoned veteran and then a young rookie, you know, a new team member, an old team member. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they were to do was swap stories, right? You can always find common ground when you swap stories, old and young. But then he would have the older person, of course, pour into the younger and say, this is how to succeed at this company. You know, I've learned that after 20 years. But then that older person would take off the mentor hat and put on the mentee hat. And the Mm. younger person would pour into them maybe something about technology or maybe how they could monetize the latest app that just came out today or how we could use this for marketing in social media or whatever. Um, I think everybody listening would say, yeah, I don't understand everything about what's new, but they do. That 22-year-old does. That intern at the church does. Mm -hmm. So what we got to do is is swallow our pride and our ego, uh, lead with humility, respect, and curiosity. By the way, when I surveyed all generations, uh, I'm telling you, Bill, the the answer that came back from all generations of what do you need when interacting with another generation? Those three words, humility, please be humble. Well, that's biblical. Come on. That's biblical. Number two, respect. Don't make them earn it. Offer it from the very beginning. I respect you, even if you're 20 and I'm 50 or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then curiosity. What would happen if all leaders in the church remained curious into our 40s and 50s and 60s? Curious to learn and grow. Um, I think that's biblical as well. We never stop learning. Yes. So anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. But I, I love reverse mentoring. I'm doing it with two individuals on my team right now. Uh, Andrew is 30 years younger than me and Cam is 40 years younger than me. I know that's, that's date me right now, but I learn every time I'm with them and I teach every time I'm with them. So my bet is that every ministry leader listening right now in your organization, you have modern elders and young geniuses, Mm. modern elders and young, and we need to get those two together. That's what we got to do. Absolutely. That is I think that is so key for the, the making the pivot, making the transition here, the handoff of the baton, however you want to say it, because we often know we need to do something different, but we don't know what to do or how to do it. Yeah. And then we end up falling prey to the old phrase, we've never done it that way before. And then nothing ever comes about and we end up dying on the vine, so to speak. So I that's so practical. I love that you shared that in the reverse mentoring and and just uh, I think that's so helpful for us. Um, t- take us through, let's go back to the generations and just kind of give us, um, I know there's can be some stereotyping that we yeah, do. Yeah. And you talk about that. It's, and it's actually kind of fun to hear that, that stereotyping that we don't want to fall into, but yeah. stereotyping happens. So kind, yeah. kind of take us through that. What, what do we often see as stereotypes of generations? Yeah, sure. Well, um, what I have in the book is, as you know, is a two-page spread. And so great. It's a large chart where I just compare and contrast the narratives of each generation. So I do agree. The goal is not to stereotype, but to understand. But to understand that you got to kind of know, oh, this is what shaped your thinking, your worldview, millennial or Gen mm-hmm. Zer. So um, one of the categories in the chart, Bill, you know, and I think that's what you're asking about, is what was the narrative they brought with them as they entered the workforce? Okay. Yes. 
very different. So the builder generation, which was my parents' generation, their 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 narrative was just be grateful you got a job. You know, my dad said that to me. Why? He grew up during the Great Depression and World War II. He was grateful he had a job. You know, he we want to talk about life purpose and find your mission and passion. It was man, just get that paycheck in. <laughs> so I don't fault it, but would you say that's a little different? Okay. The baby boomers come along, and I gave us baby boomers life paradigm. I want better, or I deserve better. And the reason that was our narrative is it was a time of expansion, not depression after World War II. Shopping malls were springing up. McDonald's was franchising. So it was a very different, a little more idealistic mindset than the builders had had. For Gen X, I gave your generation, Bill, the mantra, keep it real. Yep. real. Uh, that was the that was actually a phrase that became a thing when you were growing up. And I, I shared it that way because between 65 and, let's say, 1980, 82, it was a harder time in America. You were just kids back then. But, you know, you looked up at the adults and they were looking at, you know, the Vietnam War that wasn't going well, the Watergate mm-hmm. scandal that was horrible, the OPEC gas crisis that going on, lines that, the, you know, oh, my gosh, it was just a funky time. And even though you were kids, you looked up at the adults that were skeptical, and you as a generation grew up a little more skeptical yourself, not quite as idealistic as those baby boomers were. Mm-hmm. But that's helpful to know on a team. Absolutely. For millennials, this is one that I thought was really fun. After interviewing a ton of millennials, I gave them the narrative, life is a cafeteria. Oh. So what I mean by that is millennials grew up in a time of digital customization. So just like you go to a cafeteria and you make up your meal, each item on your plate based Mm -hmm. on your tailored taste buds, um, these young professionals are making almost every decision of their life like it was a buffet. I'll give you an example. Both of my kids are are millennials. Uh, My daughter, Bethany, is 34. My son, Jonathan, is 30. Years and years ago, they stopped buying compact discs to get their music. Why would they buy a CD? There might be several songs I don't even like on that CD. I get one song at a time. I form my own playlist on Spotify or Apple Music or iTunes or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a buffet. They'll make school or educational decisions this way. They graduate from high school and go to two or three different colleges for one degree. You know, one of them's overseas. Um, and this is one for every listener listening. Well, I think you'll find important. They'll mm, often think this, think way, this way in regard in to regard. spiritual things, uh, their faith, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of Oprah Winfrey, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And it's like a mix and match thing. And there's no one truth source, but you know, they, they, this makes them feel good. And this, and, and I don't mean to make fun, but just know this free agent mindset is yes. pretty much a part of culture today. And if you're winning people to Christ, Get ready for a free agent to join up if if they join (laughs) up at all. So um, Gen Z would be the final generation of the workforce. They would be young professionals now. The oldest would be. Uh, After talking to so many, and um, they were all really respectful in those focus groups. I was so proud of these teenagers and young 20-somethings that sometimes aren't so respectful. But Mm -hmm. um, the, the mantra I gave them for their narrative was, I'm coping and hoping. Wow. So what I mean by that is they're hopeful since they're young, but they feel like they're just coping in a post-pandemic world. 
uh, mental health issues are pushing them uh, downward, uh, anxiety, depression, panic attacks. They've been normalized today. Uh, many of them are just overwhelmed by the options that are coming at them. They're not quite sure to, what to do. So they're coping. So my point on that is, if you think about those last five generations I just listed, I know you can't memorize everything I just said, but what you'll notice is the the mindset or the narrative is like a pendulum swinging back and forth in the grandfather clock of history. Uh, the builders were a generation of caution. The, the, the baby boomers, a generation of confidence. Gen Xers, back to caution. Millennials, back to confidence. Gen Z, back to caution. So leading a millennial 15 years ago, you might need it to have said, now, wait a minute, Josh, you might not be the vice president of the company when you're 24, you know, mm-hmm. or Gen Z, or you might need to say, Austin, give it a try. You can do this. It's in you. I believe in you because it's just like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I'm coping and hoping. So I'll stop there, but that's kind of a, a summary real quick of the kind oh. of narrative that often follows a generation. That is outstanding. And uh, I've read it in the book, but I've heard you share it uh, in, in public speaking a few yeah. times. And every time I, I listen to this, I just glean more and more. So listeners, you might have to rewind and listen to that whole part there with Tim talking about the different generations, because it's so great to really let that sink in so we understand this. And even the pendulum there uh, of how to better lead uh, by having better understanding of one another. And that's really what the purpose of this all is, is to better uh, work together, understand one another, and uh, and make a difference um, together. So in one of the chapters, um, you talk about managing preferences, tensions, expectations. Um, talk to us, like, wh- what makes each of these so challenging yeah. and also so beneficial for leaders to manage? Yeah, it's a great question. Thanks. Um, first of all, I think I had to learn as a as a leader uh, that there's a difference between problems that need to be solved and tensions that need to be managed. Uh, ministries and organizations are always going to have tensions because we're human, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I think about a business, sales is always going to have a little bit of a tension with operations. You know, <laughs> they're trying yeah. to sell a gaz- gaz- gazillion things and operations go, wait a minute, how about fulfillment? How about fulfillment? So we're always going to have tensions between groups of people. We just need to get used to it and we're never going to get rid of them. Okay. However, I believe that everybody that comes into an organization, brings with them preferences, expectations, and demands. Now, let me differentiate what I mean by that. Preferences would be, I prefer it to look like this here, but it's not a absolute. I, I don't have to have. It would be my preference as a 22-year-old, as a 42-year-old, as a 62-year-old, okay? And we all have different preferences. Wouldn't you agree? It's Absolutely. Got, kind of good to know Absolutely. that. But it's also, it's also good to know that's a preference, not a, not a demand expectations are a little bit stronger than preferences. People always come with expectations. And I believe conflict expands Mm -hmm. based on the distance between expectations and reality. We better find out those expectations to minimize the trouble. So in an interview, I might want to find out what are your expectations here? Because I tell you what, Bill, if you find out they're grossly different than what you're able to do, you can say goodbye right then. Just say, hey, listen, good to meet you. This is clearly not the right place for you. I I encourage you to look somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
but then demands. We all know today we live in a polarized world and so many people are just, oh my gosh, their buttons are getting pushed and they're demanding things that in the past would have just been preferences. We need to be careful to find those out because again, you might need to say to somebody, I'm sure you're a wonderful person, but those demands, we're never going to do them here. That's not what we're about. We're about discipleship or we're about feeding the poor or whatever. And you're wanting us to be under, you know, underwater basket weaving or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I just feel like we as Christ followers who are leaders need to get better at having hard conversations right up front, hard before easy. We always jump to the easy conversations. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, you're awesome. Love you. That's easy. <laughs> Hard conversations are figuring out preferences, expectations, and demands. And I, in that chapter, I really just talk about how to figure this out as you interact with other generations. Yes, it's that's really insightful content there because I think it is easy, especially because we're Christians. We got to be nice. We got to be. It doesn't mean we're not nice. It just means let let's. Well, I'm a Gen Xer. Let's keep it real. Yeah. Let's let, let's yeah. talk about the real stuff so that we can then you know get to other things. And we know if we're on the same page. And I think that generationally, because we come from different backgrounds or like you say, different expectations, maybe yeah. even demands, it helps people to better understand one another. And that's uh, uh, ultimately for the good. Um, yeah. you, you, share some, you share some case studies and uh, we got a little time left. I, I'd love for our listeners to hear these case studies because it really, for me, every time you share them, helps me understand like the true generational gap that you talked about earlier. So share with us some case studies here. Okay. Well, one of the stories I tell in the book is, was really fun to tell, although it's a sad story. It's about Tony. Tony was a college student at Ohio University a few years back, had a part-time job while he was in school at a, a major retail brand paint store. Um, while he was on his shift one day, he started taking video of himself mixing paint colors together and coming up with some really interesting, you know, colors. He started a TikTok account and it went viral. Tony got 1.4 million followers on his TikTok account, you know, picturing him, you know, putting blueberries in white paint and making a really vivid shade of blue or whatever. And, and, and Bill, he also had like 37 million views. So he was attracting a gob of people. Yes. Well, his thought was, even though he was just 20 or 21 years old, he thought, maybe, maybe we could monetize this. We could use this for marketing to a million more people or, or you know, 37 more million people. So Tony puts a presentation together, puts a slide deck together, and offers to take it to the management at this paint store. And Tony does not get one person interested in hearing from him doesn't get one set of eyeballs to look at his slide deck. He did get, however, something he did not expect. Tony got fired. Yeah, he got fired because those leaders were just sure this young buck was, you know, probably doing this on company time. He probably was stealing the paint from the store and probably was distracting to the customers. And of course, Tony was able to prove that none of those were true, but um, they fired him. He moved from Ohio to Florida, now has 2 million people following him, and he started his own paint store. So, Pastor, you can either groom that young leader and be open to new ideas, or they go plant their own church. I'm just saying. I'm yep. just saying. 
So is there a way to start a gig economy right within the church or right within the ministry where you let them start new things or try new things? And you're curious about those new things rather than wanting to fire them from their internship or something like Mm -hmm. that. We've just got to do better at this. And Tony is just one illustration. Yeah. Wow. I just was talking with a pastor friend of mine who was sharing with me about a 20-something, so that'd be Gen Z, that started a, uh, what are these called? Reality game nights? I don't remember exactly what they're called, but uh, as as a way of reaching twenty somethings, and so they they set up an area in the church where they where they're doing this role play type games, which yeah. are very popular, and then they turn it into a little Bible study at the end, um, and it's a completely out of the box way that this pastor is grooming this twenty something. So it's kind of along the lines of what you were saying yeah. there, yeah. and uh, uh, something that you know I had not heard of before. And I thought, wow, good for him. He's He's not pushing this young person to go do this somewhere else. Instead, he's embracing it to reach some twenty-somethings yeah. uh, within his within his uh, walls of his church. So, uh, we don't want to be like that paint story. That's that's right. uh, that's that's not what we want. I love that case story. It's so relevant to just hear a practical e- example like that. Um, so, as we kind of wrap this up, because there's so much content, I just want to encourage our listeners to get a new kind of diversity. It's wherever you find books and uh, you want to make sure you get this and um, and reach out to me at IMF because I'd love to talk with you more uh, uh, about this content and just kind of say practically, how can we how can we come alongside you as IMF is you're looking at connecting with different generations. That's what that's what we're here for at IMF. So um, in the time we have left, Tim, will you just take us through? Uh, you have these uh, aptitudes that are so relevant, these images. And yeah. I-, I love when you share these. Could you share a couple of those as we close? Sure. Yeah, I'll be quick. Um, one of them that completely is relevant to our topic today is chess and checkers. So listeners, imagine those two games that you probably learned to play growing up, chess and checkers. They they use the very same game board, so it could be tempting to think they're the same game, but they're not. When I play the game of checkers, all my pieces move alike, they all look alike, so I treat them all alike. In chess, if I have any hope of winning the game, I have to know what each piece can do, a bishop and a pawn and a rook and a queen and a knight. I believe mediocre leaders play checkers with their people. They treat them all alike and they get average performance. Great leaders have learned to play chess in the relationships of their life. And they connect with others at the uniqueness of their strengths, their personality, and their generation. So I'm encouraging everybody listening, play chess, not checkers. It's harder to play chess than checkers. It takes longer to play chess than checkers. But it's the right thing to do. And by the way, you all know this, listeners. Jesus did this. He talks completely different to the rich young ruler than he did the woman at the well. He he plays chess and knows how to reach them where they are. So that would be one image. Another one I'll do real quick, because I think this is a good one to close on, is simply one called a bridge, not a wall. And the picture is of a big bridge stretching across a canyon. Um, when we meet people that are different, let's say a different generation, we tend to build a wall very quickly because it's just too much work to build a bridge. You know, we're mm-hmm. socially lazy. We think these young people are fragile and they're snowflakes and they're lazy slackers or whatever. And I'm just saying it takes a greater engineering feat to build a bridge rather than a wall. But I believe leaders must take initiative to build these bridges instead of walls and to do the work 
That's W-O-R-K, the work we've got yes. to do. Isn't it true, Built Scripture, all through the Psalms, from generation to generation, from generation? We're called to do this. This is not a secular pagan idea. This is exactly what God calls us to. And God forbid we fail to do it because we were just stuck in our own power trip rather than saying, I'm going to obey what you called me to do. So that's my challenge in a new kind of diversity. Oh, I love it. And uh, like I said, I've I've gleaned so much and continue to by this uh, by this work. And thank you for all of the research you did. It's a, it's a social social science book that you uh, put together here for us. And um, and it's a lot of fun too. You know, so many things we look at, it's very, yeah. Uh, you know, you dive in, it's very serious. And there are serious components to this, but really it's a lot of fun when people start learning about uh, their own generation and other generations. And it might even be a work that you know, leader, you might want to go through with your staff or go through with some other leaders in your elder board or whatever, so that you start to have a better understanding of how you can be more effective and uh, and 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 take your ministry to another level. So, um, so great. La- last question here: um, Can you give our listeners, um, Dr. Elmore, maybe one or two team activities that w- can help close the generation gap um, within their team or within their leadership of their organization? Yeah, sure. Um, we have enjoyed playing a game at Growing Leaders called uh, What's Your Superpower? <clears throat> so very often generations have different superpowers, not just because of the personalities we individually have, but because, you know, we just develop strengths based on the my mom and dad, man, theirs was grit. You know, <laughs> they were <that> resourceful. <laughs> Today, it might be something with technology. So you get an older and younger team member together from two different generations, even if it's just one generation apart. And get to know each other and then say, tell me about a superpower that you've got. I know it's kind of cheesy to say superpower, but what we simply mean is, what are you good at? And I bet you, you're going to find, oh my gosh, you can do something I need to learn or could learn. So that would be one activity that we have just really, really enjoyed. Another one is, Bill, when I got ready to begin to market, or we at Maxwell started getting ready to um, market this book, I met with each group of generations on our team. And I said, how would you Gen Zers market this to your cohort? Xers, how about you? Millennials, how about you? Boomers, how about you? We, we're going to communicate differently to different age groups. Mm-hmm. So as you think about ministries, sit down with one of those demographics and say, how would we reach your cohort, your generational cohort? And then go to through each one. It was so much fun. We got brilliant ideas that I would yeah. not have come up with on my own. So yes. it's a yeah, those are really great practical things to try to help us get from where we are to where we want to want to be. So I just want to thank you so much for uh, this great conversation. I know it's sparking a lot of thoughts, and uh, I know our listeners are going to value greatly from taking time. And uh, so thank you for listening today. I want to I want to encourage you, invite you to to like this podcast to share it with those that uh, could benefit from it. I know that uh, we're just so grateful for the comments that we're hearing on, on recent uh, episodes. I know this is going to be another one where we're friends and family. You're going to want to share this uh, and, and get it out there. We want to multiply this great message. And, and again, we are, we are IMF. We are uh, here to serve those who serve others in frontline Christian ministries. And you can find more about IMF at IMF Serves. Org. And we want to make sure that you go to the show notes and you'll see the link there for uh, Dr. Elmore's uh, resource here. Tell us, 
Tim, the uh, website to find more about the book. I know there's an assessment there people can do online um, and they can find that at where's the website. Yeah, you can find the a free assessment to check your out your generational fluency. Uh, it's simply newdiversitybook.com, newdiversitybook.com. And then you can find me at timmelmore.com and growingleaders.com as well. Wonderful. Well, those are great places for people to go and make sure you get the book, A New Kind of Diversity by Dr. Tim Elmore. And uh, so thank you so much, Tim. It's great to be with you. I look forward to seeing you again soon. And to all our listeners, you matter and uh, you are making a difference. Go make it a ridiculously amazing day. And as always, keep smiling. Thank you for listening today. If you found value in this episode, be sure to subscribe and share it with others. Don't miss the next one. We release new episodes every first and third Thursday of the month. We serve those who serve others in frontline Christian ministry. So for more information, visit us at imfserves.org.